Well, I'm glad to be here. I haven't spoken for a few weeks. I was in Albuquerque on August 22nd with uh, Paul and Ruth Martini at, at New Life City, and uh, they are doing very well, and really well. And thank you for praying for them. And they love you. I'm, you know, I'm sad they're not here, but I'm really happy they're there. The church is, has grown quite a bit in the few months that they've been there, and they're just wonderful people. That's good, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's just awesome to see you. So um, I know today, yesterday was September 11th. And it's the 20-year anniversary of what we've come to call 9-11. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a sobering time and a, and a thankful time, remembering the heroes, remembering the, the innocent victims, um, celebrating the heroic first responders and those who, who really gave their lives knowing, knowingly and... Uh, and really celebrating the resilience of free people. You know, re- re- celebrating the resilience of our nation that within a few years had, had really, re- you know, really like bounced back in a major way. And I think it's because we're citizens, not subjects. You know, we're part of a free country. We want to keep it that way. And... Uh, Anyway, so I'm sure some of you reflect on the moments and the days. Ann and I were talking about this yesterday, and she, she shared something with me while we were having dinner, and I said, oh, please, will you please share that tomorrow? So, Anne? So we all remember that day, and uh, many of you I know have more serious stories than I have, but this was just my reflections from my journal that Charles asked me to share. Um, I'm grateful that Derek, our son-in-law, did not have a 9 a.m. appointment at the World Trade Center that day. His appointment was at 10 a.m. The floor of his appointment did not fare um, fare well, and some of his clients lost their lives. Anastasia called to tell me to turn on the TV. Derek had spoken to her from the Chrysler building a number of blocks away, and the last she heard, he was headed over to the towers to see if he could help. Then the phone transmissions went down, and she did not hear from him for 24 hours. Anastasia and her newborn Fiona lived outside the city, and I immediately turned on the TV at her call and saw the second plane fly into the South Tower. But for a number of hours, I kept her posted with the events as they unfolded on TV since she only had a radio. We nervously prayed. Derek was missing in the city without contact until the next day. Transportation out of the city was halted. People just walked around the streets in a daze. Derek attempted to get across the George Washington Bridge, but it was closed due to a bomb scare. And when I think of the chaos of that day, it feels similar to now. One problem compounded another. Phone towers not transmitting, uh, bomb threats on the bridges, stopping traffic out of the city, first responders coming to help, uh, coming to help, and they were breathing toxic gases and worse. But Anastasia took a trip to the grocery store that day, and it was, she said it was an, an apocalyptic experience because there were abandoned full grocery carts lining the aisles, and there was no people shopping, just uh, two employees. And she kept her doctor appointment for her baby's surgery. She returned to her tiny apartment and waited for Derek as we continued to pray. He made it home the next morning, and they stayed in their apartment playing Monopoly for the next several days, um, acknowledging a near brush with death by spending some quality time together. And nine months later, our grandson Hayden was born. That's... uh... Life, life, life. Yeah, we love life, don't we? And it is, I I mean, I felt like I had been, and I'll continue, I'm kind of committed to this series, uh, the Book of Romans, but I I just felt like I didn't want to dive into Romans 2 today because I feel like it is a very similar time we're in and... um, 
And many people have been challenged by waves of discouragement and, you know, we're in an unprecedented time in our nation and we have many harmful policies coming out of the government. Some are, are laws and, uh, that are harmful to unborn people and harmful to children and harmful to uh, the, the fabric of our society, dividing people with crazy, failed Marxist theories like critical race theory and um, brainwashing children with transgender ideology, which would never cross their minds. Um, and, and that this is actually being promoted by a government and so many disappointments, you know, promising our kids, hey, you're going to go back to school and, and the children won't have to wear masks. And then, the, you know, a few days before school, our governor, by decree, declares that children will wear masks. And it's bizarre. We are citizens, not subjects. This is a republic, not a dictatorship. <laughs> you know, so, and we need... And in love and in joy. That's the challenge. That's why I felt like rather than diving into, and the warning in Romans 2 is don't get into self-righteous judgment, you know. But the, but the challenge is staying in love, staying in joy when wave after wave of unexpected discouragement. It, it's challenging. It's interesting, you know, 20 years ago, our... Our economy was directly attacked. You know, that was the symbolism of the trade towers. And our military was attacked. That was the symbolism of the Pentagon, whether a plane actually hit it or not. It was subject to debate. And then our government was targeted, and that was Flight 93. Thank you for those heroes who stopped the, the target of the White House from being hit. But it's interesting that now, you know, these 20 years later, all three of these sectors are under siege at the moment. Many of you who are business owners, you know, you feel it and you understand harmful government policies that have made it hard for you. Beyond, and of course, we're all fighting this disease and, and you know, we care about that, but many of the things have been harmful uh, inc increasing unemployment payment, which makes us slaves of the government rather than free people, which makes people not want to go back to work, which is really harmful for small business owners who are trying to get their, their and not just small business owners, factories are having a hard time getting their employees to come back to work because they're getting paid for just watching TV or whatever they're doing. And, uh, and so these things, and I, there's no, no, nothing personal, nothing like I'm mad at anybody, but I'm just saying this is an attack on our economy and on our way of life and on our freedom as free people who are citizens and a government that is actually of the people, by the people, and for the people rather than a top-down totalitarian regime. Serious stuff. Policies that have messed up life and, and destroyed jobs and uh, humiliated us on an international stage. It's the military, it's the economy, and our government is in confusion. So all of these things, I hope you're not mad at me. If you are, you can either forgive me or leave. And you know, <laughs> I love you and uh, the... Uh, but, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be angry at anybody. I'm just stating the facts. And we have, well, let's give Jesus glory. He's the Lord of glory. We have unprecedented situation where doctors are being told what they can and cannot say to their patients. These are people who've completed 
medical school, residencies, specialist trainings, who absolutely know more than certain bureaucrats do, and they're, they're being told that they can and cannot say things, or maybe they'll lose their license. Isn't that a lovely situation? It's not part of a free country. And I'm just, I want to say I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the many that I, I you know, somebody will show me something from Facebook because I'm a very infrequent uh, visitor of Facebook. But, uh, and I see some of you making, you know, giving little speeches at school board meetings and attending <laughs> municipal, you know, township board meetings and borough meetings and... California, we just had towns and counties. Here we got boroughs and townships. We had to learn all that. But the, uh, and it's awesome. Go everywhere and make your voice heard in love. Speak the truth in love. And we won't, we're not gonna lose. But that's why I just felt like I wanted to just address anxiety and discouragement because they're, they're, just waves their attacks that are sent against your joy, sent against your love, sent to discourage you, depress you, freak you out. And I just want to declare that every promise God has made is yes and amen because of Jesus. No matter how many promises God's made, this is the NIV, I love this translation. No matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus. And so the amen is spoken through us to the glory of God. And so that's why we pray and that's why we intercede and that's why we understand. We're not, I'm, I'm not mad at any person and that's because God has sanctified me. You know, otherwise we get mad at the people and we miss the point. We're not warring against flesh and blood. We're warring against principalities and powers. That's why worship is so powerful. That's why, you know, I, I contacted David. I said, David, any chance you can put that song rattle into the, into the worship? Because it's a celebration in advance of the victory that God has already won. But, you know, the scoreboard, we see the scoreboard by faith, but the world hasn't seen it yet. And we know he wins. And so, and I feel like when we sing it and we just cry out, live, it's, it's an act of defiant liberty against the spirit of the age that wants to intimidate, manipulate, and, and, and steal everything from you. But Jesus is giving us abundant life, and we declare that. We declare that over you. Okay, so that's basically it. If you want to go home, you can, but I'm gonna, I just want to talk about um, power, the power of the good news, the power of the gospel, and about love, which is the center, and about how do we process the fear, the disappointment, the discouragement. How do we process that your, your, um, you know, you, your employer, or not just your employer, becomes government policy that you have to have the shot or you can't keep working? And, and it's not even your choice. And it would be good if it was proven. Anyway, I won't get into that because it's outside of my field. But there, you know, why would, why would an effective medication be denigrated as, as a horse dewormer when it's, it's both cheap and effective. I don't know. You know, I'm not the guy who's writing those articles, but I'm just saying, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for truth, and thank you that you will prevail. And because you're, you know, God is awesome. And he's not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon. All right, so... Help me, Lord, not to say anything that gets us kicked off of whatever. Anyway, that's why we're actually, we're, we're working on a, a completely different platform that is a free platform that is never going to get shut down. So, hooray. Anyway, so I want to talk about, you know, this tying this into Romans, but 
Romans 1.16, which I've already preached on, but Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This was a man who had been beaten, had been, uh, you know, stoned with rocks, not with drugs, but just stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. This was a man who had been shipwrecked three times at the point that he was writing to the Corinthians. And he said, and once it was a night and a day in the deep. Can you imagine that? No life save, you know, no life jackets, no transponder, no little uh, water activated locator like they tell you on the airplanes. I don't know if anyone's actually used those, but um, <laughs> help us. It's supposed to make you feel better when they tell you, oh, good, you know, just in case, you know. But, but he spent a night and a day in the deep. Can you imagine that? And he's writing, he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to set us free for, to everyone, everyone, everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which covers everyone else who's not Jewish, not just people with names like Papadopoulos or something like that. Verse, for it, in it, the righteousness of God's character is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Isn't it amazing? I mean, that the revelation, it's the power of God, but it's the revelation of God's righteous nature that he keeps his promises and he makes some covenants, some promises he makes are unconditional, like his promise to Abraham. And so he keeps it. That's the righteousness of God, that he's the promise keeper and that what he promises he will do. And our, our you know, the the trying of our faith is in the waiting. But it's also the place where we're transformed. And so, I, I love this as a possible, because the gospel tells us something. The gospel is, is the good news of God. It was an announcement of God's victory. The gospel was actually a political term. In when, when Paul's writing to the people in Rome, they knew what the Evangelion was, this was when they would announce a great victory that they just added a whole new empire to the Roman Empire and they would celebrate and that kind of thing. And Paul was coming to declare that God has conquered the world and the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it, the gospel answers the question that, that any human whoever isn't like distracted by smartphones that make us dumb or by by 24-7 media, but it actually just has some time by themselves with no distractions, will start wondering, where did all this come from? And so the gospel answers the question, what is at the center of existence? What is, at the, what is the basis that there is a universe? Why is there something rather than nothing? And it gives an answer that is not found in in, you know, molecules in motion, which is what, uh, you know, people thought in the 18th century, naturalists, or what, what, you know, it's not quantum flux and, you know, the, you know, waves and subatomic particles going back and forth in some kind of mysterious dance. Those were just part of creation. But what's, what's behind everything that exists is not a karmic cycle, that somehow you go through life and, you know, the lords of the karma, whoever they are, judge you and send you back as a frog or, or as a something better. Um, and it's not an infinite void, which is what samadhi is for, for Buddhists. Now, by the way, I, I know many amazing, wonderful, kind, lovely Hindus and many lovely, you know, like people that might not believe in God, but they're just decent people. And I know many people that are Buddhists and are very kind. I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the concepts. And so, because if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And so what we find, and it's not, an, you know, it's not a transcendent despot that we don't really know much about him because he's too unknowable as per uh, Islam. And, uh, but we find out that what is at the center of the universe is a personal relationship that exists eternally in a loving interaction. At the deepest level, this, this is 
This is just a mind-boggling fact that it's not some kind of cosmic energy, but it's, it's the deeply personal interpenetrating relationships of the Trinitarian persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. And his salvation brings us into that relationship. Not because we did it, not because we were perfect, but because when we receive the gospel, he comes into us and we enter into him. And by virtue of that, we experience communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that stunning? Like, we, we're actually brought into the center of all existence by, virt- by something as simple that we can't understand. As we believe, he gives us this gift of salvation that, set, that makes us new creations, so we're no longer fallen, we're no longer under the wrath of God, we're no longer children of disobedience, even though we might disobey, now we're disobeying against this new nature that's been given to us. Come on. Can it get any better? And it's pure gift. It's pure gift. We can't earn it. And it changes us so that we become zealous for good works. But we're not working to be accepted by God. We're working for the first time in our whole existence out of a nature that's renewed and set free to express the image of God through our lives in whatever unique way it is. And every one of us is as unique as our fingerprints or our, the you know, spectrum analysis of our hair or our irises or all these other wondrous things that make each one of us an individual and not just a big, monotonous group. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that, I mean, it's amazing that, that at the center of the universe is love. That at the inception, eternally, before there was anything, there was love. There, before there was anything created, there was love. Before there was energy or matter. In the beginning, God created. But before the beginning, God was. And was loving and happy and I, I mean, how can we comprehend it? It's beyond our brains. Holy Spirit, reveal it. So we can say as human beings, we're created from love and for love, and that's why things that, that kind of go against love, sometimes they trap us, and we end up living our lives for the wrong things. But when we're, but when we're setting out to do the right thing, these waves of discouragement come at us that's the corruption that's in the world. And... Uh, and God's given us guidance and he's given us, you know, he's given us conscience and reason and imagination that we would reflect his nature in the world. But in the middle of the discouragement, we need to grab on to this basic thing of love. So I just want to talk about this, this love. And what comes out of love is joy and obedience. John 15, I've, I mean, a number of years ago, I probably preached on this, I don't know how many times, at least 50, maybe 100 times right here <laughs> in this room. John 15, 9, as the Father, this is Jesus declaring this. It's so stunning. I mean, do you, ever, do you ever think about how, like, amazing it is that God, who the, the universe cannot contain, who calls planet Earth his footstool? I mean, these are just images of how big he is. You know, the stars are the work of his fingers. That God becomes a baby and, and learns to speak Aramaic and goes to school and learns to read Hebrew and at, at the yeshiva or whatever he went to at, at that time. I mean, and that he lives this life and his dad dies and he lives with his mom and he's a carpenter and he's just pretty ordinary Mary knew he wasn't ordinary, and he knew he wasn't ordinary, but his time hadn't come. That he, that he preached and he did good things for three years, miracles, creative miracles, healing miracles, delivering demons out of people, or delivering people from demons, <laughs> casting the demons out into pigs. Just all these wild stories, walking through storms, 
sleeping through storms. Just, it, that's wild. And then that he gives himself voluntarily for the joy set before him to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now you have received it because he chose you. You thought you chose him, but he chose me, he chose you. Like before you were born, he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he had chosen you. Your name was already written in his book of life. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what people think about you. This is what he thinks about you. He chose you before he spoke and said, let there be light. And of course, we had to receive him. We had to willingly bow our knees. Some of us, it was under duress, but most of us, it was kind of willing that we, he is so amazing, he made us desire him, and so what we were really doing when we were accepting him was we were just saying yes to his will and his choice. Jesus. Now, it's hard to get discouraged if we remember that, and that's what this whole thing, I just want, we want to remember how much he loves us, remember how good he is, remember his plans for us are good and not evil. Come on. Okay, so he says, if abide in my love. He said, as the Father has loved me eternally, that's how I love you, infinitely. Abide in my love. Live there. Make it your home. Don't leave. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will live, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in my love. In other words, he's saying, all you have to do is be like me. And obeying my commandments isn't hard. When you're in love with somebody, you want to do the things that please them. I mean, even if they weren't things you would have chosen before. How many men, will you get married and you discover your wife likes to watch flick chicks and doesn't like war movies? It's like a shock, isn't it? Especially if you only had four brothers. But you suddenly you're going like, yeah, we'll watch You've Got Mail. Okay, yeah, we'll watch Sleepless in Seattle. I'm going back to the 90s. Some of you have never heard of these movies. But yeah, we'll do it because that, you know, we'll watch Little Women. We'll watch, what are all those, those British movies that you like? Pride and Prejudice and stuff. Yeah, we'll watch all this stuff. It's all good. Can we just watch Saving Private Ryan? No, it's too traumatic. I won't be able to sleep. Okay. You know, but, it, but you do it because out of love. And I know I'm, I'm making caricatures, you know, so that's, come on. Jesus, give us life. And then he says, these things, why does he tell us this? Because he wants his joy to be in us. Can you imagine if, what was in you was his joy. Not my joy, but his joy. Ha! <laughs> Which means every time, you know, the, the, the enemy is raging. Still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His wrath and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. That's Martin Luther from a hymn. For those of you who've never heard of him. And, and, and then the last verse says, so it's like, though it doesn't matter how much he rages because he, lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. And Jesus says, down. <laughs> That's it. And so no matter how much the kings and the Illuminati and the G7 and the elites of who, you know, whatever we think is pulling the strings, it doesn't matter how much they plot, how much they plan. Psalm 2 says, God is laughing. He's laughing. And he wants his joy to be in us so that our joy will be full. And we'll be like, oh, that's terrible. And it is terrible. We get hit. We get hit with these waves of discouragement. Like, I can't believe they're going to do this to the children. Oh, I can't believe. Oh, I used to have free choice. Now all of a sudden, if I don't get the shot, 
I can lose my job. I mean, there's something like 20% of the United Airline uh, employees, they don't want it. And there are, there are legal firms that are challenging these things as constitutional issues before the court, but we don't hear that stuff if, if you don't look for it. You know, and you're just told you're really bad. You know, that this whole thing's being caused by the unvaccinated. And they're not talking about the fact that the unvaccinated who've had the disease have great immunity. Come on. Now I could get in trouble if we're canceled off YouTube, sorry. But the, uh, but it, this is truth and we just need to, to just say, you know what? We're, Jesus is gonna win. And we can let goods and kindred go this mortal life also because it's all for him. It's all for him, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. I realize these things cause anxiety, they cause depression, they cause, and so I wanted to talk about that before I run out of time. Help me, Jesus. God is love, 1 John 4, 7. <laughs> Let us love one another, love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God, and I knew this as a young Christian, and knoweth God. And v- verse eight, whoever Loveth not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so this is the thing that distinguishes whether we're in our flesh or whether we're in the spirit. Because as soon as I get mad and upset and I'm all in turmoil and I can't sleep and I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm processing. You know, my, hum, my human frailty is exposed and, I'm, and now I'm struggling. God, I want to get back into that place of peace that passes understanding. What can I do? And you know, the amazing thing is, as we just, we just make this our focus, we're gonna love one another, we're gonna love our neighbor as ourselves. These are his commandments. They're all like love, just love. If you'll love, you won't do anything wrong. Romans 13, love, or maybe, yeah, it's 13, maybe it's 15. Love works no harm. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so this is all part of being awake. Like we're going, God, I can't get drift. I can't get offended because that's a snare. It's a trap I don't see. And pretty soon I'm going to be mad and angry and I'm not going to. And so what is, how do we deal with this realistically? Okay, so anxiety is bad for us. But we want to be alert. We want to be awake. Jesus asked Peter, James, and John, hey, you guys, I want you to stay awake with me because I'm wrestling with this. You know, I, I mean, they talked to me about it on the Mount of Transfiguration, about my departure, which is soon to be accomplished. But now I'm at the moment, and I've, you know, I've said, yeah, I'm doing this for the joy set before me, but right now my soul is troubled because do you think maybe God showed him in advance all how terrible it was gonna be so that when he got there, he'd go, oh, this is it. I don't know. But anyway, he's wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a real place you can go visit it as soon as international travel opens up. It's a real place with olive trees and a big rock, and you know, it's, and that's where God in human form wrestled in his own humanity concerning what was about to be accomplished. And sweat, under such great pressure, he, he sweat drops that were filled, his sweat was filled with blood and angels came and ministered to him, but his friends kept falling asleep. And he said, Peter, so Peter, (laughs) this is uh, Matthew 26, verse 40 in the ESV, he said to Peter, so, I just wonder what the tone of that was, like, yeah, so, could you not Stay awake with me. Well, that's what watch means. Could you not stay awake with me one hour? And then he says, watch and pray. Stay awake and pray so you may not enter into temptation. And of course, Peter, Jesus was going to the cross whether Peter stayed awake or not and James and John. But Peter needed to stay awake because perhaps it would have changed his experience of the next few days, which were pretty bad for him. But here's, here's the thing. How can I find, when I'm distressed, and I'm Peter, James, and John, they're all distressed. Jesus is saying strange things to them at the Last Supper. 
that they don't understand. They're like, what? You know, he says, I have to go away from you. I'm going to prepare a place. You know, he's telling all this stuff. And they're like, what? We don't understand. What are you talking about? You know, and, and, and then on top of that, these guys had just eaten a big dinner. You know, they'd eaten lamb and, and did the whole, the whole um, Passover meal and all the, had the wine that went with it and everything. And so it's kind of like, oh, man, I shouldn't have had that second helping. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's confusing. But when trouble comes, here's what, so how do I stay in love? Psalm 22, 11. Jesus, this is the psalm of the, the crucifixion and beyond for Jesus, the, his passion, his suffering. The, psalm twenty two eleven. be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. This is the cry. This is the cry of Jesus, Psalm 22. Perhaps, you know, it wasn't all recorded what if he wasn't saying it because he could barely breathe, he was at least rehearsing this. And he's saying, trouble is near and there's none to help. But what is amazing is right in the Psalms, Psalm 46.1, comes the answer to this. God is our refuge and strength. Our refuge means we're in him. And our strength means he's in us. God, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So how do, I, how do I get out of this distress, anxiety that weighs me down? You know, anxiety in the heart of man weighs us down, but the Lord will lift us up. It's by, I, I go into this place where I realize Oh, I do have someone to help me because I feel abandoned. I feel isolated. Every, you know, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to, ah. And, and God is very present. He's, and that word very is like this emphatic word, meod. It means like really excessively present in trouble. So when I'm in trouble, this helps me. Say, God, you're here. I can't feel you. I don't know what you're saying, but you're here. And you are my help. He's a very present help. He's the answer in our trouble. He comes to help us. Okay, it's just a good word. So why do we want to be alert? Because we want to be awake and recognize when we get hit by anxiety, depression, isolation. I mean, all the things that we're going through, nonstop stress gives people what they call PTSD, right? The post traumatic stress disorder, and some of us feel like, yeah, I'm disordered, and this is a continuous stress disorder, you know, like continuous traumatic stress disorder that we've all been going through these last year. Here's the good news, that God is very present in it, and he's our help, and he is processing us as we process the situation. And everyone born of God overcomes this world, and this is our victory, even our trust, our faith in him. And so what could be happening is that we're being made, we're being transformed at a rapid rate. Yay, and God hasn't left the throne. But we have to know this, anxiety is a downer, and I wanna be careful, I, I know some people, they, it's like a chemical disorder, or you get you know, panic attacks and all these things, so, but, but any person exposed to continuous stress will struggle with anxiety, depression, feelings of isolation in that moment. And so there is a way we get through this in terms of just normal life. And we have to know this, that if we're afraid of what people will do or say, it creates a trap for us. See, if we're like... You know, there's a certain amount of decency, like, okay, I didn't come to church today wearing my cutoffs and my, my T-shirt that I should not still be wearing at my age. I, I don't know if I have one of those or not, but, but you know, I mean, we, we, we are appropriate in however we dress, whatever generation you're in and whoever, but, but if we spend our time obsessing over, well, what will people say? Now, my mom, thank you, mom, you're in heaven, I, you know, it's just beautiful. I had the honor to lead her to the Lord. And, but she had a, it was probably her background, but she had this 
thing where she would be really worried about what the neighbors would say, what do people say. And a, and a lot of people grew up in that. I was, we were, Ann and I were once in a church in Germany in uh, the Moselle region, and the preacher there was from Bavaria, and he talked about how in the village where he grew up, everybody had to put their, their um, down comforters outside their windows by seven in the morning. And the people were, they were hypocrites. You know, they'd just go, they'd have an extra blanket. At 6.45, they'd put the blankets over the window so everybody thought they were really, you know, good citizens and they were up hard at work already and they'd go back to bed. And it's like, we, you know, it's the fear of man that puts us in bondage and robs us of our authenticity. So I just want to declare over you that God loves you, he made you, he chose you, and that the, snare of man, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's, yes, yeah, I love the, the NET translation says, whoever trusts in the Lord is set on high, which is actually the literal meaning, New American Center says this is exalted, that when we trust in the Lord, he picks us up. And it, we're safe because... It's, it's in Psalm 91. Because he has known my name, I will set him on high, which means in a safe place where the arrows can't reach you. There, isn't that great? So we just, got, when we get, when fear strikes, when anxiety strikes, when disaster strikes, our place of refuge is to go into his tangible presence. Okay, so I'm trying to, I mean, Jesus warned over and over again, you know, Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious. Look at the birds. They're flying around with bird brains and, and the father feeds them and they're not worried. So don't worry. I mean, really, when he's saying, look at the birds, it means like, look and consider and really see what you're seeing here. Look at that. If those little brainless birds, they're just walking around and they're fine. How much more are you worth? To God, I know that could offend some environmentalists, but <laughs> if you realize you were created and not evolved, then you understand, you know. That, and, and likewise, he says, and look at the wildflowers. They're just beautiful for five days, and then they're, you know, dried up. And it says, if God clothed them in more glory than Solomon, how much more will he take care of you? He says, don't worry about what to eat, what to wear, what, and some of us don't worry about those things, but, <laughs> but, he, but he was talking to poor people. They're worried about, will I have food? Will I have anything to wear? Will I have any shelter? And he says, don't worry about these things. Your father knows you have need of them. It's what every normal human thinks about, and if you seek his kingdom, he'll provide every one of those. And I just wanna declare this as a word for, for all of you that are facing hard and challenging situations that maybe are economic, they may be legal, they may be having to do with, with, the, with the situation we're in, or they may be unrelated to that, but they're difficult and challenging, that if you'll seek him, and you'll seek his kingdom, his righteousness, his his nature, his character, his government, his faithfulness, that's his righteousness, that all these things will be added to you. I'm declaring that as a promise of God. Can you say amen? amen. Okay, so the last thing, stand up, because I don't want to be too long here, but it, it, it's, sometimes we're running in fear and we can't outrun our destiny. There's this interesting story in, in Genesis 28 Jacob, uh, who was an interesting character, and, but loved, you know, he wanted the best that God could give him. He wasn't always the best at how he got it, but he, his older brother ended up hating him because he not only had the birthright, which Esau didn't seem to care about, but he had the blessing, which he did care about. And, his, and so he was walking around saying, well, as soon as dad dies, I'm gonna kill him, brotherly love. And... Uh, and so his mom hears this and takes it seriously and says, you better get out of town, Jack. And so Jacob goes for a run. By the way, you know, Jacques, okay. So uh, Jacob goes for a run and he runs about 30 miles. He's totally exhausted. He's just running. Can you imagine if you know you're gonna get killed, you're not happy. You know, it's not like, wow, this is awesome. I love the wilderness. He's running. He falls asleep, exhausted. He's so tired, he uses a rock for a pillow. And while he's asleep, 
It just happens that the place he ends up is Bethel, which is where his grandfather Abraham built his first altar in the promised land. And there, sleeping in, you know, exhausted by his own fear, God gives him a dream and in the dream reiterates basically every promise he had spoken to his grandfather Abraham and said, Jacob, but he personalized it that he was going to do it for Jacob. And Jacob woke up from his dream and said, whoa, God was in this place and I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? Could we just say, God, you're here. You're in my life. You're in my home. You're in my circumstances. And even if I get spooked and I run out of fear, I can't outrun your destiny. Thank you, Jesus. So is, uh, just real quick, and I won't, I won't go through it, but I would recommend that you take, go to the fourth chapter of Philippians because it tells us what to do, how to process. Maybe I'll, I'll just do a very bad, quick job on it. How do we process a grave into a garden? <laughs> okay, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. This is a guy who's been beaten up many times, who's been chased out of cities, who's been humiliated and mocked. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because that was what he did. And again, I'm going to say it. Rejoice. Like, no, it's counterintuitive. But it's the way of the kingdom. As soon as you say thank you, and as soon as you begin to praise, the doors of heaven open to you, and you find yourself in the courts of the king of the universe. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What is reasonableness? Some say gentleness. Some say... Um, consider uh, there's a few different ways it's translated basically it's the opposite of being panicked okay let your ah be known to everybody why because the Lord is at hand he's present why because you're in trouble <laughs> verse 6 don't be anxious about anything so you say okay, God I am anxious you say don't be anxious but I am anxious okay here's the solution in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and you know we just say prayer and supplication what does that mean well there are two different words prayer is our communication with God which should be continual supplication you could translate it begging screaming urgent like God do you know I'm gonna die like oh no I'm glad you told me that but but we feel that way don't we we're like ah any of you have little kids you know and it's the end of the world that you know they had a plan and it's not working in some ways we might be like that so that's what supplication is in other words we have permission to process our pain with God and spare everyone else if possible but the but Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. As soon as we get into thanksgiving, we get into faith. Jesus. And here's what'll happen. The peace of God, which transcends our comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are familiar with the Amplified, because I've heard preachers quote it for years. This is the peace of God, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation, fearing nothing from God and being content. That peace shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds. That's a pretty good promise. But here's what I love. Paul says at the end of his letter to the Romans, he says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, our feet. My feet, your feet, all our feet together. So let me pray for you. Father, I just, lift your hands, especially if you've been, I know some of you, like you're just, it's been a nightmare of anxiety and disappointment and all these things for too long. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Would you encourage us? Would you be the comforter who brings us back to strength? Would you reveal the Father and the Son to us? Would you reveal 
things that are present and things to come. Would you awaken us in the night and remind us of your promises? Would you give us dreams that don't even make sense in our current emotional state, but are your promise that you've never forgotten about us? And I pray for everyone who's having doors closed or being threatened and you don't know what to do, that God will show you what to do. God will show you, go ahead, take the shot, go ahead. No, don't take the shot and don't be afraid. I have another plan for you. I don't know what the solution is. I'm, not, I'm just saying, God, would you lead us and guide us through these seasons that we would stay in love, that we wouldn't get into judgment, that we wouldn't be talking about how bad someone else is, but we would be glorifying you. And would you remind us at all times that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places and rulers of darkness in this world. God, would you give us the weapons that are mighty through you to the tearing down of strongholds? God, would you fill our homes with peace and joy, a peace that passes understanding. Can you say amen? Can you just say, I'll take it. God, give it in a double portion. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, pour out extra grace upon you. And may you know that every time you pray, he's listening to you. He's got his face turned toward you. He's hearing your cry. And he's running to your aid. And may the shalom of God be upon you as you carry his presence into this present darkness, you become the light of the world, shining like stars in the midst of the darkness. That's who you are. Can you believe it? Just say, God, I thank you for the greatness of your salvation. I'm gonna live out of your faith and take it into my faith and I'm going to be good news to everyone I talk to. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God is good. <laughs> well, I know I, and there's always healing here. I don't think we ever have a week where people aren't healed by, the, by prayer. Some of you may want prayer. Just, hey, stand with me, agree with me in prayer. We've got amazing people here who want to pray with you and agree, and we'll see God move. If you don't know Jesus, he is all, he's what you need. <laughs> Ever since you've been born, you've needed him. But, but if your heart's hungry, he's knocking at the door of your heart. And I ask you, come forward. Just at, there'll be people up here. Just say, I want to know Jesus like I've never known him before. Amen? Amen bless you. God bless you. Have a great week. And let's just be good shining lights, okay? All right. <laughs>